verse 14 to 41. It's quite a long verse, so just bear with me. All right, Acts 2, 14 to 41. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days, and they will prophesy. prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man, accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope, because he will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promise, Holy Spirit, and has poured out what we now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, for yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Phones. Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their numbers that day.
Thanks, Nadine, and good morning, folks. Uh, I'm Etienne, and welcome to you as well, if, from my end, if you're visiting with us today. Um, if you are, you're stepping into sermon number three of probably seven uh, in a series that we are journeying through the book of Acts uh, in the Bible. It, it's a book in the Bible that is shortly after Jesus, immediately after Jesus Christ's life and resurrection, we encounter the book of Acts. Um, in the preceding two weeks, we spoke on week one about Jesus' ascension. Uh, forgive me if that's a term that makes no sense to you. If you're new to the faith or new to church, I, I won't recap it now, but I just want to sketch a picture of where we're at. Jesus is going up to be with God the Father. We spoke last week about uh, the Holy Spirit being poured out, Jesus pouring out his Spirit into the lives of of all those who would receive him and the difference that that makes, that God seeks to make with the Holy Spirit being in your life. And then, immediately after the Spirit gets poured out, we find a very, actually a very exciting uh, thing in all of the Bible. For the first time in the entire biblical story, we have someone get up and preach a sermon as more or less as you know it and as has been done for the 2,000 years since that day. For the first time, someone gets up and can talk about the Jesus who was raised, who was ascended, and the Spirit who has been poured out. And he can answer the question that we asked last week. How do I get it? <laughs> How do I get filled with the Holy Spirit? Now today, I, 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 I really am not going to unpack that whole sermon. It's, it's, you think my sermons are long? <laughs> no, it's actually not that long. It's very short, only a very few words, but a lot to explain. And, I, and I'm not going to, to really unpack it all. I will, I'll, I'll just touch on the fact that he starts out by saying to the, the, the crowd there, who was a Jewish crowd, right? He says to them, this spirit that's been poured out, this this joy that you see in this crowd who's talking about Jesus, who, who is so secure and, and encountering the intimate love and presence of God so acutely, God has always promised that. This was always the plan. And he takes them to the places where, where God's promised it. And then he starts talking about Jesus and all the preaching that gets done in Acts and all the preaching that gets done and should get done by the church since that day is all about Jesus. First thing he says to them about Jesus is he too was promised. He quotes two Psalms, hundreds and hundreds of years before that event, and he speaks to his Jewish audience and he says, this is the person, the figure whom you have been waiting for, who you needed, whom God has said, really from eternity will come. He is that person. And then in verse 36 of the passage, Peter gives his bottom line, and that's where I want to start today. He says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Lord and Messiah. 
really all I'm going to do today is talk about the meaning of some words in this passage. There's two of them there. Lord. What does it mean to you if you're a Christian or not to say that Jesus is Lord? You see, I wonder if the term Lord is sort of somewhat somewhat spoilt for us by our cultural experience of it. Tell me what pops into your head when you hear the word, word Lord. I, 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 uh, I dare say, I think, I think, I think Jane Eyre. I, I, think, I think nobility, English nobility, you know, Lord such and such, and, and, and dames and dukes and duchesses and those sorts of things. Maybe if you're a Harry Potter fan, I think Lord Voldemort. Um, it, it's a strange term. It's not a term that we that we use often, and when it is used, certainly in our culture and in our storytelling and our narratives these days, it's, it's, um, it's a term that might at best go there. And it is a term that is utterly unhelpful for you to understand what it means to call Jesus Lord. For the Jewish audience that Peter spoke to on that day, there's no question what he had in mind. Yahweh, Jesus is Yahweh. Who's Yahweh? Throughout the Old Testament, it's the term used for God. The God of Israel. (laughs) The one who has created them, the one who's formed them, the one who's led them out of the desert, out of Egypt, the one who then came, the one who died, the one who was raised, the one who has ascended to be God. Is this who you think of when you think of of Jesus in your life? I guess that's the question for us here, isn't it? Do we ascribe to him that level of sheer authority and weight? Maybe, Maybe king is a better word. Absolute, utterly exalted and authoritative king in control of everything about your life, and to whom you and me and every single human being ultimately are accountable. King. God has made this Jesus king. Overall, number two, Messiah, which really means Christ. Lots to explain, but the root word is a a saviour. A deliverer, one who saves. In fact, his very name, Jesus' very name means one who saves. And in that comes out this, this incredible truth about God, that he is the one who wants to save, save you. Save you from what? Save you from a death that one day will lead to an eternity without God. Save you from a, rela- a life without a relationship with God. Save you from every single thing in due time that is wrong about you and about our world. You think of everything broken, everything not right, everything hurting, every tear you cry. You will be saved from that because of this king. And in here, can I just hover and plumb deeper? Please, we must see something about the, the stunning, exquisite, beauty of God in these two terms. Think about it with me, will you? 
What good is it to have someone who is king, lord, in control over all things, all-powerful, but not interested in helping you, saving you, being there for you? Flip it around. What good is it to have a God who is interested to be a deliverer, a Christ, a Messiah who, who, who wants to help you, who wants to set you free from everything that is not right about life and death, but who can't do so because he doesn't have the power. <laughs> see? see? See the marvellous stunning of who Christ is. A king who can save who can save from the only thing that he can save. He only, and we're going to talk more about that. Lord and Christ, get the sheer magnitude, scale and size of these two terms. They affect every single thing about your life. Every thought you should think, every breath you should breathe, every word you should speak, everything comes down to these two words. Lord Christ. The people hear this in the story and they we read, they were cut to the heart. I want you to think about that phrase for me. That's the next phrase I'll explain that we look at today. What does it mean to be cut to the heart? It's the only time in the entire New Testament that this phrase occurs. I think the only time in the Bible, in fact. It's pretty unique. Very unique, actually. Shush, 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 you haven't finished your training yet. <laughs> yeah, they were, absolutely. And the question, and since Ryan has already spoiled it for me, <laughs> that I'll then ask at this point that you can hold on to whom you crucified, who's the intended audience of that phrase? We're going to get there, yeah whom you crucified. Jewish people that day, certainly they were the people who were almost certain were there when the actual crucifixion took place. That They're amongst the crowd who says, crucify him, saying that this is not Lord and Christ. This is, this is an offence to humanity, to, to our principles, to our faith, to our sovereignty, to our whatever. They hate him. To the point they put him to death, right? That's the same crowd that Peter now speaks to. And, and worth keeping in mind, very worth keeping in mind. Cut to the heart. Let's, let's define it. I, 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 I was um, camping a few years ago, and I may even have shared the story with you at some point. Uh, we camped at Deloraine uh, on the river there, and, and at some point we went for a walk, and there's this really nice bridge Many of you would know it, you know, sort of from the caravan park over the river there in Deloraine. It's a real nice arch, just a pedestrian bridge. And my son was on his scooter at that stage. And we got to the crest of the bridge, and um, we stood at the top there, and he was a bit hesitant. He did not want to go down that bridge. And I said, you're no son of mine. If you don't get down here. <laughs> I didn't say that. But I egged him on, you know, I would never say that. But I, but I egged him on. I said, come on, man, you can do it. It's not that bad. And, uh, and he went down that bridge and he got 
to the end, and I could see halfway down this ain't going to end well. He got sort of to the very end of the bridge, and there's this little walkway, you know, down at the end. It's elevated at a boardwalk, and, and it's, it's got a drop down either side. And look, he picked up a wobble, and he came off, and he landed in the, in the dust. And I, and I ran after him, and I'll never forget this moment when I picked him up, you know, and in his agony and his scream, and, and I picked him up, and I saw the, just the blood-covering face. Um, <laughs> cut to the heart. This was me. My fault. I did this. Can you maybe think the last time you felt guilt? Where it was undisputable that it was you. You, you. you know that feeling, right? What it feels like to be utterly, utterly confronted, convicted, convinced of your guilt, and, and, and like it did for me on that day, it did for the people in this story, they say, what do I do? <laughs> in that moment with my son, it, 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 you see guilt, that feeling being cut to the heart always demands a response. It, it never leaves us <laughs> neutral. It always, you, it always demands a response. You, you, you can't just Feel that, experience that, and, and not feel, even in that moment with my son, what can I do to, 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 to make this up, to, to, other than holding and embracing and, and, and begging for his forgiveness and really coming to terms and say, I did wrong, forgive me, uh, help me. I, you know, that's the thing, that's the question the crowd asks here, the people who rightly, as Ryan pointed out only days ago, put Jesus to the cross. They say to Peter, what should, what should we do? And here's the response. Peter says, you do two things. The next two words. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ. And then two things will happen. The forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Repent and be baptized. Repentance. If you're new to church, if you're new to God or to faith, let's just work with this a bit. What does it actually mean to repent? It's a very Christian word. It doesn't get used in life generally, right? Here's what it means. It means in real basic form, to turn. I'll put it in the context of the people in the story there. Here's what their life was like up to that point, and you think about your own life. I'm going to walk around a bit. Just follow me. Life for them was going this direction. In terms of Jesus, we could say, Jesus was not Lord. Jesus was not Christ. Jesus was not someone who I wanted to see Honour, follow, take seriously. Life was going this way. I was aiming at something else, living for something else, desiring something else. And here Peter goes and he says to them, repent. Here's what he asks them to do. He says, turn. Turn. Look at 
He who has become Lord, he who has become Christ. Repent. This is a hard thing saying, it was like this, but it's now going to be like that. That's where it starts. And then practically your journey as a Christian, and this is where all of life gets lived out as a Christian, you start walking towards that cross, towards that Lord, towards that Messiah as he fills you with his spirit, as he changes your life bit by bit. But you know, and I know that on that journey, quite often we start going again this way, don't we? So repentance is not a once-off thing. There is this continual ongoing nature. In fact, every time you see it used throughout the Bible, the grammar is very much continue repenting, live in ongoing repentance. Now, let me be very clear. That doesn't mean that when you're on a side road that you have been unfilled with the Spirit. I think this is a sheer, total, full thing initially. And what that Spirit does is you continue and you get distracted and you get caught in your sin you get caught in your selfishness, you wrestle with all the various things that are broken in your life and you go on those side roads, that spirit with whom you filled comes after you every single time. And he grabs you. And he turns you back. And so life goes. It's this constant turning. Turning until eventually one day in the glory and greatness of God we, we get there, don't we? Repent what it means. Where are you at in that journey this very morning? Still completely that way? Perhaps on a side road? You'll know if you are. Perhaps going very well this week, this day, this morning, just in a really great phase of life where you knew and understood and felt the embrace of your, your father, Okay? Be baptized. That's the second thing. Repent and be baptized. Baptized is a metaphor. It's a Christian metaphor. Really talks about washing. We're going to dig a lot more into this next week. Not because we're going to talk about baptism, but we're going to talk about sin. Do you know that your biggest problem in life is not your ill health? It's not your income or lack thereof. It's not how you look. It's not who your friends are. It's not what your church is like. It's your sin. It's the fact that you are a sinner, as am I, as is every single human being except this one who ever lived. Do you understand that you face no problem greater than that? None. Think of the worst thing that can happen to you in your life. It is not as bad as the problem of your sin. And baptism is this, this, this symbol that Jesus gives to his disciples. I think he hints at it already when he washes their feet. Some of you might know that story in, in the Gospel of John. He goes around and he wants to wash his disciples' feet and he gets to Peter, the very guy who preaches this sermon. He says, you will not wash me. He fails to understand that Jesus is not talking about dirt on his feet. He's talking about the dirt on his heart. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you will have no part in me. On the cross, it is the blood of Jesus that washes your sin away. 
Nothing else. Nothing else can fix you. Nothing else can give you what you ultimately need and deep down want out of this life. Nothing else can lead you to being filled with the Spirit. And baptism, baptism is the symbol that resembles and reflects that. So Christian people, when they come to faith, when the turning happens, get baptized. You say, but we baptize babies here. I really don't want to get into that today, but sure, because it's just a question that's there. Why do we baptize babies? Out of that two or 3,000 people who were baptized that day, it's almost certain there were children. Babies who get baptized aren't washed of their sins. God makes a promise. But on the day and the point where they turn, they will be washed. But not until then. Okay? Simple difference. The promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far off. It just explains that. Baptism. If you have been baptized as a child, have you repented? Are you heading to Jesus? Is your life heading towards Jesus or away from Jesus? Your baptism means nothing outside of repentance. If you have not been baptized nor repented, I'll invite you in a short little while about what you can do. Let me move to a close. And the close of the message is the introduction to what we call the Lord's Supper that we're going to celebrate this morning. Let me get to Ryan's point. See, here's the sticky part of Peter's sermon. He says to the crowd gathered there, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and King. How do you feel about the accusation that's what it is, that it was you who crucified the Lord and Christ. You say, but I wasn't there. How can I be held responsible for something that I was not there for, perhaps, but without his blood, no forgiveness of your sin, no baptism, (laughs) no being filled with the Spirit. None of it. So yes, you may not have been there. But the song says this, so aptly ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Can you say that for yourself, friend? Is this a fact that has cut you to the heart in your life. You need life-saving surgery. Your heart needs life-saving surgery. And the scalpel that makes the cut is guilt. A guilt before our great, loving, 
holy, perfect God. You say, Ed, but you tell us repeatedly that guilt has no place in our lives. It does not after repentance. But before repentance, it does. It is the instrument that leads us to repentance, that led this crowd to repentance, that will lead you to repentance. And I'm convinced, here's the bottom line, to answer the question, how am I filled with the Spirit? How do the things that we spoke about last week become true of me? If you weren't here, we spoke about some incredible things. That, that, that God wants to fill you with His Spirit and, and get you under such a firm, intoxicating grip of the greater reality that you are His child, that you belong to Him, and that He loves you and delights in you, and your future in Him is bright and, and secure and full and free. And you are so convinced of that. It is such a firm reality in your experience that you can look anything in your life that's not right in the eyes and say, I know that God is with me because he is my Abba, my dad, who loves me and who has a future and nothing can take that away from me. I'm so convinced of that and I'm under such a powerful grip of that reality because I'm filled with the Spirit. How do I get that? How does that become true for me? Here's the rub from today's sermon. The road to being filled with the Spirit leads through being cut to the heart. The road to being filled with the Spirit leads through being cut to the heart. So, let me now call us to the Lord's Supper. Every single person here today will respond to this message. Not responding is a response. Everyone's responding. That's... It's a scary thing about the gospel <laughs> is that we're always responding, right? So here's three responses, three categories. You pick yourself in which one you are and then I'm going to pray and we'll hand out the bread and the wine. Here we go. You may have had a first response one way or another in your life a long time ago. You're on this road. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. And he's Christ. And it's a good thing. And I love him. And he's faithful. And I know it. Please come to this table this morning with gratitude. I don't think we quite live down ever the remembrance perhaps of our guilt. We shouldn't carry it. It shouldn't dictate our life. But we remember it, right? We remember sacrifices. Remember him this morning. And may the Spirit make you sensitive to the, the size of the gratitude we owe him and, and just come with your heart like that. Join, eat the bread, drink the wine, be reminded of what was done for you here as we celebrate the supper. Perhaps you're here this morning, but you're, you're not in this place. You, you, you say, no, no, no. I'm not cut to the heart. Never have been. Not quite sure that I should be. I'll be very honest that was, that was myself 15 years ago, it's many others, and you're welcome here. You really are. And I pray, and this church prays that the Lord our God will call you. The Lord our God will show, reveal in the depths of the places where it matters who he is and what he's done. Thirdly, you may be here this morning and, you know, you've never, 
You've never made this response. But perhaps even for a while leading up to this Sunday, you have had a sense of being cut to the heart. Maybe, maybe you're just afraid. You say, but I don't know if my guilt for my sin and my shame can be borne by Jesus. It can. It should. It's why he came. And it's why you're here. And it's why you're hearing this. And if that's you this morning, I, I, I pray, I plead with you, do two things for me, will you? I'm going to pray a prayer that I want you to echo in your heart for yourself. And then come to the table, eat the bread, drink the wine, as acts of putting your sin on Jesus. Your sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and you bear it no more. No more. Make today the day where it's done. Where you receive Jesus, you enter freedom, you walk to the cross. Let me pray. And then we'll hand out. Jesus, today I take my sin personally and I place it on you personally. Thank you for the cross. Fill me with your spirit. Lead me in repentance. And wash me, I pray, in Jesus' name.